such a funky groove, and I hate to hate to step on it. It sounds so good. Uh, but uh, this is talk radio, although we love uh, weaving in as much music as we can, because you know we love, 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 love good music. Quincy Jones once told me, ain't but two kinds of music, right? Good music and bad music. And we love good music around here. I'm Tavis Smiley. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580, unapologetically progressive radio for your ears. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580. In this hour, the California Reparations Task Force has had its last public hearing as the group now navigates the process of preparing its final report recommending how the state should apologize and compensate black fellow citizens for the harms caused by slavery and discrimination. UCLA professor John Michaels testified in front of the California Reparations Task Force days ago and joins us now in this hour to discuss what next. Professor Michaels, good to have you back, my friend. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Good to have you on the program. Let me start with this. Um, and we got an hour, as you well know, you've been here before, so I want to give you some time to sort of unpack this. Before I go into anything else, tell me um, why you wanted to testify in front of the reparations task force. And secondly, give me some sense in the audience, some sense of what you had to say uh, when uh, they gave you the microphone. Sure. So when I first read the report, which came out, the interim report, which came out last year, I was just blown away. It's a magisterial report. Mm -hmm. Um, It is so comprehensive. Um, And as I said in my remarks, that if the if the committee, if the task force did nothing else but produce this 500 page document, they've done um, they've done a major service to the state of California, to the people here and to the to the larger to the larger community who wants to access it. Mm -hmm. But obviously, that's not enough. And so um, I continue to kind of think about it. And I'm teaching a seminar um, this semester on uh, new innovations in, in government design. And we're tackling a lot of issues that matter. And I've asked my class to look hard at the, at the um, task force's proposals. And we're doing um, some coursework in that. We're actually having the chair come in and speak to my class. Um, and in the course of coordinating with that, I, I asked Chair Moore if, if, you know, I said, look, you could probably have to think about administrative law design questions. This is really wonky stuff, but it's really important to figure out the right type of design so that when the substantive proposals get turn, have to be turned into pr- you know, projects and, and programs and initiatives that people want access to, we want the kind of assembly line to be running really well. And so that's why I volunteered my 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 very limited expertise in this space. Um, but, Tavis, if I may, I have a, a, an additional reason, which is, uh, I, th- though I'm a white guy, I'm a member of an interracial family, and so much of my work is, is really abstract and theoretical. And I would love to have some ability to impart to my children, to our children, my wife and my children, um, uh, that the work I do can have real-world impact and have real-world uh, impact on something that really speaks to them and to their to their family's traditions through my wife's side. Um, and it, it became kind of, you know, a, a special privilege and a special honor for me to be able to make a small contribution um, to a family that on my wife's side has done so much for civil rights over the years, um, uh, including helping... Um, desegregate schools in um, 
in Little Rock, Arkansas, and defending Black Panthers out here, that um, I was I was really honored to be able mm-hmm. to do, make a little contribution to a to a storied family tradition. I'm glad you shared that. Uh, I, I know a bit about your, your your personal life and your and your your, your family and your backstory. So I wanted to go there. So I'm glad you jumped first. Let me let me follow up though with a couple of questions in that regard. Um, number one, um, does one have to be uh, uh, white? and married into a black family to get this? Does one have to have uh, that kind of family structure uh, to understand why this issue is uh, so important uh, and to uh, uh, to invest themselves in learning more about it and speaking out about it? Uh, again, I'm... I'm, I'm I'm, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm framing, I'm framing, it, I'm framing it this way because you're in that. But you, you take my point, though. I, I hope that what I'm getting at is this: I hope that white folk in this state and beyond don't have to be married to a black woman or a black man to understand this in the ways that you do. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense, and I have to be clear about this: that I hope I would be just as animated. Yes, and I mentioned this in my report that there are other groups who have been systemically discriminated against for extended periods of time in this country. And I hope if, you know, I wasn't involved in how the sequencing of the legislature deciding to go with black reparations as opposed this in this kind of legislative cycle. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there should be a reckoning at some point, hopefully soon, about the, you know, the history of, of Latino, Latinx, um, uh, members of our community as well. And I would hope I would get just as animated when I saw a report and saw that there would be space to um, provide some administrative law, institutional design expertise there. Yeah. So I, I certainly hope that that's not true. And I will give a shout out to my my colleague, uh, Blake Emerson, who studies very similar questions to, to mine at UCLA. And he and I um, were when we we when the report came down he and i were texting furiously about design questions and he um has written about the freedmen's bureau in a in a political theory context so i hope that there are more people than just folks like blake and me who are doing this type of work on the other hand i i can't help but also note that in 2020 the california voters had a chance to to rethink and repeal prop 209 yes and um and uh, uh, for 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 your listeners who are new to California, that's um, that's the state ban on considering issues of race in um, educational and employment hiring by public institutions, um, and that makes me quite concerned about um, not just the some of the some of the, the the constitutional questions that might arise with the task force, but simply if there's enough political yeah. will. So I totally, and I'm sorry for the long-winded answer. Mm-hmm. I share your concerns. I don't. I think that people are. I think the Prop 209 vote in 2020 is not a particularly good sign for where, um, uh, let's say, white Californians uh, may be at this moment. Um, and it's something that we need to um, work on. And I think folks who take a look at this report, um, it may be quite eye-opening to realize that there, how many of us are indirect beneficiaries yeah. of, of systemic racist policies for, for uh, generations. As we move through this hour, we'll talk about those white Californians. Um, uh, when we come forward, though, I want to come straight away to this. I've said many times on this program and beyond, for that matter, um, as, a, as a proud Californian, that what happens in this state either cast a long shadow or a long sunbeam across the nation. 
What happens in California either casts a long shadow or a long sunbeam across the nation. I'm not sure what we're going to cast vis-a-vis reparations. What I do know is that the whole nation is watching us. Uh, I've been in so many conversations. This station is flagshipped in Los Angeles, heard around the country. Uh, and people tune in every day from uh, from parts unknown. Uh, and they are watching us here in California to see what we do on the issue of reparations. This could be the blueprint for the rest of the nation. And so in that regard, it makes me proud in this instance, uh, some things I'm not so proud of, but it makes me proud in this instance, instance to be in California and know that the nation is watching how we're handling this particular issue. The flip side of that is the point you just make now, Professor Michael, is that white Californians ain't necessarily on board yet. And we're going to discuss that in a great deal more as we move through this hour um, of conversation about reparations, given that this task force is now on the precipice uh, of uh, offering and submitting its final report uh, to the state legislature for what ought to be done and how it ought to be done when it comes to this issue of reparations for African-Americans in the state of California. And as I said already, the nation is watching. You're listening to Professor, Professor John Michaels of UCLA on KBLA Talk 1580. Professor John Michaels, let me come back to this issue you raised uh, moments ago about white Californians. Um, you happen to be a white Californian and you get it. You testified, as we said earlier, before the reparations task force in its final public hearing. Uh, but the data indicates that not all white Californians are on board. Um, talk to me about how you read those numbers. Well, it's tough. I, I, it's tough to say how much of um, the 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 opposition is is principally opposed, or they feel as if there's not enough money to go around, and so it's just not a priority. And I think the two different audiences are have to be spoken to differently. I think the ones who are principally opposed are going to be very hard to reach. Like mm-hmm. they don't think that there's been anything of any type of discrimination and they don't think they've benefited from any, um, from the subordination of others uh, around them. Um, and that's a heavy, heavy, heavy lift. Um, but there's also another group who, um, who recognize the realities of the world and are kind of keyed into it and simply don't want to allocate resources accordingly. And I think that's the audience that has to be reached. And, and I will, um, I will uh, acknowledge what one of my, my students said um, yesterday in our class, which was about priorities and about budgetary priorities and how the L.A. City continues to give the police department larger and larger you know, um, uh, uh, annual appropriations. Mm-hmm. And that money could be found in different places if we rethought priorities. Um, and uh, and I, I think that point holds, but we'd have to think carefully about where those um, where the money comes from. But that's an audience that I think is eminently reachable. And the the trick, and I'm not a political strategist, but the the trick to me would be to find ways to frame um, um, uh, decisions as not uh, zero sum. If I win, you mm-hmm. lose. If you you win, I lose. And I think again, the the report makes very clear the interim report makes very clear the case and uh and what 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 has to be figured out is how do you get the folks who are convincible to also say yes i will devote um taxpayer my tax my my tax dollars 
in, in this direction. And we're honestly, again, we're trending in the wrong directions on, on all of this across the country. Um, uh, and there's a reason why, because we're close to making real progress in, in achieving a multiracial Let- democracy in America. And so the fact that this is the moment when we're banning books and restricting what teachers um, uh, can provide instruction on race or gender or sexuality and um, just in my neighborhood, there was a, um, a, a no pupil day last week, and there it was going to be instruction on DEI. And there were protesters mm. saying, "How dare you use um, uh, time for for teacher prep to learn about the inclusivity of our community?" Um, and those are all, mm. I think, they're all signals I want, that the fo- sorry, please, no, no, all 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 signals that what? Finish your comment. All signals what now? Sorry, they're all they're all signals that that uh, that that hardcore group is recognizing that the numbers and time is not on yeah. their side. Yeah. So, so, so let me, let me, let me probe that. There are a couple of things you said. I want <clears throat> to, I want to probe and interrogate. I want to come back in a moment to this notion of these white Californians. I'm, I'm still not done with, with, with the good white folk in this state yet. I want to come back to that <laughs> in just a second. I promise you. But to the point you made of a moment ago that we're trending in the wrong direction, here's something perhaps you can help me understand, at least from your vantage point. You made the point, uh, and you're right, that we are some years away now for the first time ever in this nation being a majority-minority country. California already is perhaps the most multicultural, multiracial, multi-ethnic state in the nation. In the school district in Los Angeles alone, as you well know, LAUSD, there are over 100 different languages spoken in one school district, over 100 different languages spoken. So California is a multiracial, multi-ethnic, uh, uh, you know, melting pot, you know, gumbo, pick your metaphor. Uh, and so if any uh, place on the, on, on, the, on, the, uh, on the map in this country, if there's any place where we ought to get it, it seems to me it ought to be here in California. So help me understand how it is that we can be, again, multiracial, multi-ethnic, multicultural as a state, and yet be trending in the wrong direction. Can you explain that? Yeah, well, I think part of it um, is that um, the, they're both true, the, the, because there are forces that are very fearful of that trend and are, are making last gap, gas public policy pushes yeah. to forestall that, that, that inevitable uh, arrival date. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that's, that's true in, um, voter, uh, suppression drive across major swaths of the country. Again, it, it's, it's true about all of a sudden banning the discussions of race in the classroom. Why? Because we're really close to something mm-hmm. very, very profound. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, so I don't think those are, those are, um, uh, inconsistent as much as their evidence of, the, the stakes and, and the fear but if it, but if, and anger of those who are trying to um, uh, postpone that date. But if it's that profound, again, I'm not I, I'm not naive in asking yeah. this, but if that moment, uh, if this reality, this impending, this coming reality is that profound, to use your word, why can't we find hope in that as opposed to being afraid of it? Oh, <laughs> I don't know that. I mean, that's a great psychological question that I don't know the answer to, or maybe it's sociological. Um, but there is, I mean, one, there's people who are fearful of, of political change at any cost because right. they have, um, uh, they're, they're see themselves as winning now, or the, or they actually have some kind of false memory that they were really winning in the fifties and sixties and things have only gotten worse ever since. 
you know, communities have been integrated and resources have been redistributed. Right. Um, but then, but then there's also just, um, uh, I, I think, uh, true, true anger and frustration, um, on the part of, of, of some who really feel that the country is leaving them behind. Mm. Um, and I don't know, you know, a lot of my academic work right now is studying the kind of rise of legal vigilantism. Mm. And my co-author and I are spending most of our time thinking about places like Florida and Texas and um, what, what's going on there. Um, but we also see evidence of this, this kind of this kind of um, a strong backlash in places in California like Shasta County, which there have been stories in the New York Times and the L.A. Times, and the Washington Post about how um, uh, how there's kind of you know um, white militia groups that are really influencing politics there. And again, it raises the question: Why are they doing it there? Why aren't they doing it? You know, why are they doing it now? Why didn't they do it 20 years ago when maybe there was even more political acceptability of that? And um, I, I don't have an answer other than that I think it's a recognition that. When the tide turns, um, uh, life will be different. Now, is, I don't actually think it'll be as profound as, as we're talking about, right. but, but the Fox News and, and the right-wing media thinks that it's going to be profound, I, in part, I think, because those folks are, are actually pretty racist, and they don't want <laughs> the type of anger they feel towards others yeah. to be now turned on them. John, but I don't know if that'll be the case. Yeah. Let, let me ask you whether or not, and I know you're still in the, in the process of collecting data and doing your research, but um, do you think, uh, or do you know, whether or not your research, your data is ultimately going to lead you and your co-author to conclude that our moving toward, our pressing toward this day where America will be a majority-minority country, where as California continues to become more multicultural, more, rate, more multiracial, more multiethnic, is the data ultimately going to convince you that that's going to lead to an increase in what you call legal vigilantism? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely in the short term. It, it seems to be already the case that um, uh, it's going to be increasingly... Uh, uh, relevant for state-sponsored and then state-condoned actions of of uh, political violence mm. to dampen crowds at, at BLM rallies to to um, uh, intimidate folks from attending or being even just on like allies for you know drag queen brunches for um, teachers who want to be um, uh, uh, contemporary and want to be honest and recognize that um, the classroom should be inclusive places. So let's teach about race, gender, mm -hmm. and sexuality. Um, and um, uh, the the school board meetings, public health meetings have become hotbeds of uh, election uh, election um, uh, uh, office buildings have become hotbeds of. Um, of, of real, uh, I shouldn't say hot, but have become places of danger. And, um, Tavis, if you recall from the January 6th hearings, when they had, um, um, uh, the witnesses who were, um, election officials in Fulton County, which is Atlanta, mm -hmm. um, talk about, um, how their lives were basically d ruined. And one of the, I forgot which member of the committee asked, but the, the question came up, are you coming, are you going to sign up and do this again in the future? And the answer, the answer was, uh, I forgot exactly what the answer was, but it wasn't a resounding yes. <laughs> and we're seeing further evidence of that. So the, these campaigns of intimidation 
are, again, slowing things down, creating more opportunities for, um, I guess, white supremacy to have a, a longer, uh, kind of a longer yeah. run. Yep. And that, that to me is extremely, extremely disconcerting because the, 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 these moments are only going to be um, more dangerous, more, yeah. more uh, uh, and more scary for those who want to, um, who want to um, uh, be just either good government servants, good teachers, good allies, and of course the members of those communities no, who have a huge target on their back. I take your point. I'm looking at my clock here. I've got news, traffic, and sports yep. in about 45 seconds. Let me tell you where I want to go on the other side, though. Uh, I want to come back, as I said a moment ago, um, to these to these white Californians. It's one thing to advance this argument that I'm frankly tired of hearing that I don't own any slaves and my parents didn't own any slaves, my grandparents didn't own any slaves. It's one thing to, to advance that, I think, kind of silly and bankrupt and hollow argument. It's another thing, though, altogether to not understand white entitlement. And I'm, I'm curious as to whether or not white, white Californians writ large at least accept and understand the notion of white entitlement. Perhaps not, but I want to probe uh, Professor John Michael's view and opinion on that issue. And then I want to talk about uh, budgets. Um, Dr. King once famously said that budgets are moral documents. Budgets, said King, are moral documents. What would it mean? What does it mean? If we get to a point once this report is finalized and given to the state legislature and then the real conversation, the debate starts, as it will in this progressive state called California, about where the money is going to come from. What does it mean if we can't find the money for these reparations? King said budgets are moral documents. You can say what you say, but you are who you are. And when I see your budget, I know what your priorities are. What happens when we get to the point where the conversation begins about the money and they can't find it? More when we come forward. Uh, UCLA Professor John Michaels, you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where hate loses and love wins. I'm Tavis Smiley. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Uh, you probably know this by now if you're a regular listener. and hope that means you, 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 and you. And if you're not uh, and you're new, welcome to KBLA Talk 1580. Um, we are doing something no other talk station in town is doing every day at 4.35 p.m. during a Reva show, a Reva Martin in real time, to be exact. You can tune in to get your daily download on the uh, federal trial, the federal bribery trial of L.A. City Councilman Mark Ridley Thomas, uh, USA, United States v. Mark Ridley Thomas. Uh, that case uh, underway, of course, now in a federal courtroom in downtown Los Angeles. Um, jury selection uh, has been underway yesterday. Uh, I will get an update here momentarily. Not sure if they're into opening statements as yet, uh, but they were finishing up some business this morning when court opened at 9 a.m. on the jury, and then they were headed straightway into opening statements. Uh, first, of course, from the prosecution, uh, and uh, the uh, case is uh, is uh, is moving now. So every day at 4:35, um, you can tune in to Ariva Martin in real time and listen to Ariva in dialogue with our justice correspondent, attorney Dion Raymond. Uh, Dion is in the courtroom today and will be there every day uh, for the next four, five, six weeks, however long this uh, case goes. We're the only station in town who has a justice correspondent inside the courtroom every day who will be live on the air every day at 435 to download you on what happened in the trial uh, of U.S. versus uh, Mark Ridley Thomas. So again, today at 435, check in, uh, check into a Revis program to get your update on that case that we are all watching, not just here in L.A., but in California, indeed around the nation. Uh, Ridley Thomas is a high-profile uh, African-American elected official, as you, you well know. Uh, and so this is not the first time this has happened to uh, black elected officials. And so uh, I've been uh, saying all along, 
Uh, there's really about three things for us at this station, fundamental fairness, due process and presumption of innocence. And he will get a chance to make his case and what will be will be. Uh, but we're covering it every day like a blanket here on KBLA Talk with an idiot at 435 p.m. on Ariva Martin in real time. I'm Tavis Smiley. Our guest in this hour is John Michaels. We continue our conversation about the California Reparations Task Force uh, now having concluded all public hearings and they are preparing to offer uh, to submit their final report to the California legislature. And then the conversation begins uh, about the recommendations and what the state of California will do vis-a-vis reparations for black folk in this particular state. Two issues I promised to get to before news, traffic, and sports. Let me jump right now. Number one, Professor Michaels of UCLA. Um, it's one thing for people to advance this notion that I just find, you know, absurd, that I don't own any slaves, my parents didn't own any slaves, I didn't benefit, yada, yada, yada. We've all heard the argument. It's one thing to, to make that that claim. It's another thing to understand or not understand how white entitlement works. You see the difference, obviously. Do you not? Um, sure. Uh, I'm not uh, an expert on 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 the the distinctions here, but but obviously the questions of entitlement are pervasive. Yes. And once you start, it's like you know, it's like something where they say you know, once you start thinking about it, you see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. But but you but a lot of people don't either want to think about it or don't start thinking about it. But just you know, as we were going into break. I, you know, and and again, because of my family, my you know, my, my family dynamics, we have kind of controlled experiments all the time, right? How I, if I walk up to a police officer, as opposed to if my wife walks up to a police officer, how if if I'm meeting a health uh, uh, provider for our children first, as opposed to my wife, um, and, and let me uh, and let me cut is, and let, let me cut in right yeah. quick. Your wife is an African American. She's African American. Okay. She went to Harvard College and Yale Law School, and she has <laughs> she's more level-headed and and uh, than I've ever been. Um, so she, she she there's no not that that should matter, mm-hmm. Kevin, but but I'm just giving you a sense of a kind of a controlled experiment. Okay? Sure, we're sure. both of similar um, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds. We both have um, the same type of either you know glibness or dexterity, and um, we're often treated. Uh, quite differently. Wow. When I go into the classroom and I'm teaching, uh, let's say, a case, and I say, you know what? Honestly, this case is all about race, and I get into why it's all about race, even not, even if it's not superficially, uh, you know, um, understood that way. Mm-hmm. People, students will listen to me differently than if a black colleague did that, because with a black colleague, there's a oh, there he goes again, mm-hmm. right? He's going to go. He's got one issue to push, and he's always going to push. He's going to squeeze in the issue. So there's also an entitlement of, of and, and kind of our conversation started that way. Yours and mine today. Sure. About that. There's like, you know, I am, I am, if I am making a choice to speak about these issues, therefore the people should listen maybe differently or, uh, uh, or there might be something to it in a way that I think is, you know, problematic. So when we think about healthcare, we think about policing, we think about education, we think about all these spaces in which subtle entitlements allow, um, white people to walk a little bit more comfortably, mm. to speak a little bit less precisely on an issue and get the benefit of the doubt, all sorts of little tiny ways in which the kind of the, the, the travails of daily life are slightly different is a form of entitlement, access to spaces, easier access to spaces. And it's really hard to kind of, even if people are going to agree with that and they say, okay, but I don't want to do X as a result, or I don't treat people like that. And then we get into whole conversations about implicit bias and societal racism. So I don't have the tools um, uh, 
to to disentangle all of that. But but I recognize that there are a lot of folks who would start suggesting very quickly, just as you were suggesting about kind of, well, I didn't, I didn't benefit from slavery. They would say, well, I'm not the beneficiary of white, white privilege or white entitlements. Um, uh, but I recognize there are problems. I just shouldn't have to change my behavior as a result. Yeah. Um, let me ask you a, a broad question. I'll come back to this issue of, of, of budgets and uh, the, the quote that I yeah. Uh, offered moments ago from Dr. King, where he once said uh, that budgets are moral documents. Uh, I loved this quote then. I love it now. It's a powerful quote that uh, we could unpack uh, in and of itself, that budgets are moral documents. We'll come back to that in a moment. But let me ask you broadly, given that you testified um, before the uh, California uh, Reparations Task Force, what do you think uh, the big issues are that the legislature ought to be wrestling with, trying to unpack, interrogating when we get this final report uh, on their desk? So um, I think the, the big questions are how to, um, uh, first of all, how, how, to make, how to make right, how to do it the right way is, is so consequential for the reasons that you already previewed, which is the, the eyes of the nation will be on the legislature in this moment mm-hmm. and how we do it really matters. And the question is, should there be, um, should, should they be in-kind benefits? Should they be regulatory um, um, mandates to say, like, look, we have to do something about the, the disparate impact of environmental pollution. We have to do something about the disparate impact of, 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 of um, transit deserts or food deserts or banking deserts. And we want to make kind of regulatory impacts versus kind of in-kind, here's your bundle of of, of, um, uh, of, I don't want to be uh, dismissive, but your bundle of goodies, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a specific housing voucher for you or, uh, uh, you know, fi- financial voucher, t- tuition, things like that. So we have to think about the kind of institutional responses that we need and balance them with the individual remediation. And I think what, finding a balance that provides a, at least a good deal of each will be really, really important to make to make um, uh, to, to to do some uh, response to be somewhat responsible to the inequities that exist um, because of decades and, and centuries of, of racism and make the, the the individuals whole in that sense to the extent they can ever be whole, but also to think about perspective policies such that the that even even in addition or apart from those those payments or transfers, we will do everything in our power to um, to lessen the the equity gaps mm-hmm. going forward, and that that has to do with systemic change to again environmental policy, policing policy, education policy, um, uh, access to nutrition, access to to, to basic banking services. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a big. Um, this is a big job. They can't necessarily do it all at once. Right. And how they make the choices about what to prioritize and how that's packaged, I think, is incredibly important in this in this moment mm-hmm. where, again, all the eyes are going to be on yeah. us. It's a pivotal test case for other states and other cities. No question yeah. about that. Um, when we come forward here in just a moment, there, uh, again, uh, are other things I want to unpack in this hour before I lose them at the top of the hour with UCLA Professor John Michaels. There have been some conversation about private donations um, as a way uh, to make recompense, if you will, to African-Americans in this state. Uh, I would argue that relying on private donations sends a wrong message about reparations. I would argue 
that there is a distinct difference between charity and justice. I would argue that. And we haven't even gotten to King's argument that budgets are moral documents. More to unpack when we come forward with John Michaels of UCLA on KBLA Talk 1580. Professor John Michaels of UCLA, what say you about uh, some conversation in some circles about private donors um, vis-a-vis these reparation payments potentially? Yeah, so I 100% agree with um, where you where you ended our last segment, which is this is uh, 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 private donations, private private um, uh, uh, charitable giving is absolutely the wrong way to go. I know that's really hard to say it in a time of, of tight budgets, but it sends the the worst message possible that this is a gift. This is not a public obligation. This is not a shared sacrifice. I mean, mm. maybe it should hurt a little, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we don't want to pay taxes, but this is an area where, we're, you know, if, if there's supposed to be some kind of recompense, then it shouldn't be necessarily easy, and it shouldn't be done by a couple of Silicon Valley folks who, who cut a check and then get all this type of accolades for it. And also tax tax benefits from mm-hmm. doing it. No, we should all have to dig in deep, and maybe it, it it should hurt a little. And that's where you get to the the moral the, the kind of the the that budgets are a moral document, and sometimes it matters to to um to make a a sacrifice. I mean, obviously that's very it's a very common um uh, theme in 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 faith based um uh, communities yeah. where that that there's there that the cost is part of the the project as sure. it were. To to your point about budgets being more documents that quote of course comes from MLK. Um the question I, I posed earlier um that I want to now get to uh, I posed it earlier uh, rhetorically and I want to ask it legitimately and actually uh and that is what happens when we get to this conversation in the state legislature which will come at some point once this final report is submitted to the legislature from the California Reparations Task Force. Then the real uh, stuff begins, uh, so to speak. Uh, what happens in that conversation if there is debate and, uh, put another way, difficulty when it comes to finding the dollars? Yeah, <laughs> that is the question. And I don't, I, I mean, I think there's a couple of ways to, to think about it. One is we may create a new tax. That I mean, so that we've seen that in other um, in, in municipalities that have created taxes to pay for their their you know more modest because it's a smaller project um, uh, reparations project. There's been cannabis taxes and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I I think that, and I, I I don't I don't think I don't necessarily believe it's a winning political strategy, but I I, I believe that the moral strategy is. Yeah, we're going to actually raise taxes for this so that it's, it's a further kind of memorialization of what we're doing. And it, if we, if it's found money or it's money we've discovered because we've been inefficient here and now, so it's basically is, is, um, budget neutral. Um, uh, I don't, I don't know if it carries the same weight. Um, and uh, before I made an analogy, Tavis, to, um, uh, to kind of faith-based giving, but mm-hmm. there's also, you know, there's there's litigation, and sometimes you know there's there's extra payments beyond just the cost of making the injured party whole, and that's that's for a kind of uh, you know there's a retributive component to it, 
and that you know, the the company the company or the 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 harm giver the dispenser of harm should feel it a little differently now i'm not saying we should all go into the street and kind of rend our garments in some kind of symbolic act but but i do think that um uh conversations that legislators legislators should have in town hall meetings and say that look this is this is not there's no quick fix to this and um uh, and and we're going to just have to raise taxes. And if yeah. people just, you know, if, if people sold that the right way and yeah. not apolo- not apologetically, but but um, authoritatively, I think it'd be. It's like, yeah, I guess okay, maybe we should pay for uh, this. And yeah, here's yeah. the right. Yeah, well, I hear your point. In our remaining moments, um, when we come forward, I want to push back on that. I, I hear your point, and I don't disagree with it, but I want to just, uh, I want to press you on this because it seems to me that um, your black wife and your your black children. Uh, and me and my black self and my black family and all of my black friends and all the black listeners to this program right now have to be concerned about whether or not raising people's taxes to do this leads to a backlash against black folk in other ways. We were talking earlier about legal vigilantism. I hope it doesn't go that far. Uh, But ought we be concerned uh, about whether or not uh, if taxes have to be raised to do this in California, uh, as a pivotal test case for other states and other cities, uh, does that ultimately lead to uh, a further backlash against black people? Let me put it this way. I think you'll get my point. Uh, you will never convince me as long as I live that Donald Trump was not in many ways a backlash to Barack Obama. I digress. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Get back to UCLA's John Michaels in the uh, three minutes I have left in this hour. As we've been talking about the California Reparations Task Force on the precipice of turning in their final report to the California state legislature. And we will see what happens on reparations in the coming days. Again, a test case for the nation uh, on the issue of reparations. I close with this. I think it's the close, uh, Professor Michaels, and that is this notion of raising taxes that you suggested earlier. Uh, I can see ways in which uh, there will be a backlash against black folk in any number of other ways. I said earlier, you'll never convince me that Donald Trump was not in many respects a backlash to Barack Obama. That's my take. What say you, Professor Michaels? Yeah, so I think there's going to be a backlash regardless of how it's funded. Okay. I think there'll be um, frustration, anger, um, uh, disappointment um, from a group that is prone to quite, uh, you know, not just uh, complaining on, on the Internet, but taking maybe even violent steps. And I, in my testimony, I referenced the need for heightened security because I, I feel as if there will be mm. um, these offices will be um, uh, 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 an inviting target otherwise. Mm. Um, but I want to use the last moment to also point about like why it's the case that there's such a strong backlash. And it's, you know, if you think about other reparations movements, there's been acknowledgments of wrongdoing and there's been a kind of public campaigns to, uh, uh, to, to rid the body politic of that type of hatred. And that's why reparations in Germany, reparations in Japan, even the truth of reconciliation in South Africa, which is still an ongoing project, you know, there's, we never had that moment where we kind of closed ranks on the, the kind of, you know, the Confederates as they were, because um, reconstruction ended prematurely. And we've never been able to, to fully complete that moment. And so there is this, always this rigid, residual belief and and strong belief that there was nothing ever wrong done in this country mm-hmm. and it's uh you know it's an apostasy to say otherwise and that that's what me that's what invites all these backlashes you know it all is a product of the fact that we've never been honest and truthful and forceful in those truths mm. 
Um, I couldn't say it better. Um, a perfect place to close. And uh, you are uh, speaking truth, not just to power, but uh, to the power less as well. Uh, for all who heard that uh, that last comment. Uh, so I'll leave it there. Uh, John Michaels, uh, UCLA professor, testified in front of the California Reparations Task Force days ago. That task force now is about the uh, is now about the business, I should say, of preparing their final report. That final report will be submitted to the California legislature. And as we've been saying all this hour, when the legislature gets it, then the real conversation begins about the recommendations that the task force will ultimately make for how reparations ought to be defined and there, as they say, is the rub. We will find out what uh, this all looks like in the weeks and months ahead. But I want to thank right now Professor John Michaels uh, for testifying before that commission. Uh, and you heard his uh, his entreaty um, that uh, uh, security is going to be a major issue uh, because uh, there may be some some increased violence. And that's my concern. Uh, I'm not suggesting this ought not to be done. Indeed, it should be. I think black folk are black folk in this state and across the nation are old something. Uh, but I've been black long enough to know <laughs> that when you hook up Negroes in this way, there's going to be a backlash. Trust and believe. I digress on that for now. Professor Michaels, good to have you on, sir. All the best to you.